0: the the criminalization of conscious exploration makes no sense
1: i just realized that forget the whole legalization issue which is definitely going to be fine it's going to happen how am i going to decide what drug is right for me right we've mentioned mescaline we've mentioned peyote we've mentioned i mean there is a far a whole pharmacopoeia coming down the pipeline of potentially legal substances that create a a a vast array of responses, and I have no idea what most of it is. Four
0: years from now in Colorado, you know, you could go you know, work with MDMA and a therapist to treat mental health disorders. You might even have that covered by insurance.
1: As I think we'll also start to see like this unpacking of like our alcohol driven society. But I didn't know the gag reflex turned off uh, with psilocybin and I could just like ping pong my finger down the back of my throat. I was like, oh no, I'm gonna die, blah, blah, blah. And I, I went to a friend of mine. I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna die. Go call the ambulance." And I got questioned by the cops while I was tripping on mushrooms. And she started seeing ghosts. We're gonna we're gonna have you predict the future, and you're gonna give me a you're gonna give me a timeline. Hey, everyone, this is Scott Carney and Scott Carney Investigates, and I am so excited to have Joshua Capel here on the show today. He is the mastermind who single-handedly and with no other help other than himself legalized mushrooms in the state of Colorado. Now, that is, of course, not entirely true, but, but um, he is an attorney who was really, really involved with this psychedelic revolution, which is happening here in Colorado and perhaps over the entire country. And since we are sort of on the leading edge of a medicine, sort of intellectual creative uh, revolution in psychedelics, I thought it'd be really cool to have him here on the show. Now, if you're new to the show, don't worry, it's gonna get awesome. Uh, And I I have a couple things just to say early on, which is that, did you know that we have a Patreon? We do. You can be part of journalism before everyone else sees it. Go check the links down below. And that's the only ad I'm giving you in this whole show. So you're welcome. Um, Joshua, thanks so much for being here. Um, You know, the first thing. You know, I, I met you after the, the amazing psychedelics conference here in Denver, which is like it feels like the first of like sort of a movement which is coming around the country. And I want to know from you because I saw you speak at a sort of a local, you know, psychedelic friendly organization called Archipelago here in Denver. And I want you to tell me how you got involved in this movement to legalize psychedelics in California and Colorado and what that means for the country.
0: It's been, it's been a long path of mine of being involved in drug policy reform ever since you know I was, you know, I was younger and had some really profound experiences with psychedelics. And that sort of like put me on this path of like, how do we, you know, really just allow people agency over their own consciousness? How do we allow people agency over their mind? How do we allow people to engage in healing how they want to, and how to recreate how they want to? You know, and so you know, from the you know, from that time is really you know, got involved with Students for a Sensible Drug Policy many, many years ago, came out to Colorado, met up with Brian Vicente, um, started working on medical cannabis reform, ushered in, um, you know, the country and probably the world's first state-regulated medical cannabis system. Mm-hmm. You know, then he you know, was able to work on, you know, recreational cannabis and adult use cannabis. And that campaign was ran out of our office. My law partner, Brian and Mason Tiver were the chief petitioners. And then, you know you know, but really it's always been this like overall arching like drug policy movement like how do we you know change not just cannabis, but the, but the entire movement? you know and this entire war on drugs that has failed. and so you know it was you know a group of, of folks in Denver you know were working on decriminalizing psilocybin in Denver, you know back mm-hmm. in 2017, 2018 and you know got you know got tied into them you know when, and
1: decriminalization just for you know you know people who aren't familiar with that term when i heard decriminalization as a guy who lives in denver i was like cool it's legal it's not what it means right
0: no and it's you know, and there's, there's different shades of decriminalization so there's you know with the city measure it's like a city can't actually change any state law so the city measure is really just hey how do we make a public position that we don't want to spend city resources going after individuals who are using psilocybin. Um, and that measure, you know, driven by a bunch of activists was you know was able to, yeah. me and Courtney Barnes at my law firm were able to draft that measure in a way that sort of fit within the Denver code. And we stole mm-hmm. actually some language from Denver's a sanctuary city around immigration. So there's like, a, mm-hmm. you know, there's a provision that says, hey, the city of Denver is not gonna spend any money on enforcing federal immigration laws. We're like, great, let's just do the same thing besides you're not gonna enforce state psilocybin law. And um, and and that ended up passing, you know. And you know, and, mm-hmm. in 2019, and it was like really set this tidal wave of uh, mm-hmm. city-based reform across the country. You know, where it's like that's like move forward and others. And mm-hmm.
1: yeah. so basically, what it means is that you know, in Denver, you know, if you're caught with mushrooms, or you know, uh, I think it's just mushrooms, right? Or is it also other psychedelics? It's
0: just, it's just psilocybin and psilocin. and right. just mushrooms. So,
1: Sure. So if you're caught with psilocybin mushrooms in your pocket, which are, are, are magic mushrooms, which are the gateway for many people into this psychedelic world, uh, the police can't arrest you, but they can give you a ticket. Is that more or less right? No, not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so it's
0: like the you know, police in Denver, you know, it's, they're supposed to make it their lowest law enforcement priority. You know, so they're mm-hmm. not supposed to write tickets if there's any other tickets they could possibly write. And they're also not supposed to spend money on it. But it's never really been challenged of, like, hey, is this enforceable? Mm. You know, because most police, and Denver police especially, um, have the ability to write state tickets. So as long as this is an offense under state law, there's still sort of the ability for a Denver police officer mm. to you know, enforce state law. Because they enforce state law all the time. And mm-hmm. so – you know, and so really this quote like decrim was really just, you know, it's like a lowest law enforcement priority. It's really just like a public statement saying like, hey, as a community, we don't mm-hmm. want to be criminalized anymore. And, and what we've seen is like, is that the Denver district attorney, you know, has pretty much honored this. You know, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a psilocybin policy review panel that, you know, mm-hmm. they published a great report, how nothing really changed. Not, nothing really. Just, there's no adverse consequences from like, quote, decriminalizing or deprioritizing know, um, psilocybin offenses in the city.
1: Hmm. And which is great that all, ultimately that the DA is not, uh, you know, actively going after these drugs. But how would you uh, the, these medicines, how would you say? that that has changed, that these movements, these laws, even though it sounds like there's a lot of crack, potential cracks in these laws, how would you say that has changed the culture in Denver?
0: I mean, I, to, to be honest, like you know, I think the decrim measure in Denver you know, just was more of an outward reflection of how our culture already was. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't actually see that as like, hey, this is changing our culture and more people are using mushrooms. I think really what it was was like the people of Denver and the community saying, Hey, this has never been an issue. People have mm-hmm. often been using this for spiritual exploration, for wellness, for healing. Mm-hmm. We're okay with that. You know? Yeah. And, 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 to me like that same is really just a reflection of what we thought as a community. Now, once right. we start to talk about what happened at the state, at you know the state level, you know, with the whole state of Colorado, with the national medicine health act, that, though I think, you know, has a lot more, um, effects to it because it changes state law and not just Mm. a policy position from the city.
1: And how do how would you characterize what that law is and how it changed things?
0: Yeah. And so, you know, realizing the limitations of Denver's law that we just talked about, you know, Mm -hmm. confusion of can you be charged with a ticket? Can you not? Who can enforce it? like all these cracks? The really the way to make meaningful drug policy reform is to change state law you know, 99, 98% of all drug arrests are state offenses. And so when you change state law, you effectively um, really provide the most impact to the most amount of people. And so, you know, the National Medicine Health Act, you know, can best be described in like three different baskets. And so, you know, so what it does is that, you know, on one hand creates a regulated system for the supervised use of, to start with psilocybin and psilocin, but other natural medicines can be added to it, and this is going to be a program that's developed over a couple of years. There'll be licensed facilitators regulated by Dora. Dora regulates licensed counselors and doctors, and just like any other professional, our state will now have this your know, psychedelic facilitator profession, and you know people are working about what is the training required, what sort of licensing requirements are there. And then there'll be licensed businesses that can cultivate and sell these products. And also be a place where people can, you know, experience natural medicines under the supervision of a licensed facilitator. So it's a very limited program, this first bucket. You know, it's all about safety. You know, you know really, it's like, let's create thoughtful regulations around what this should look like. How do we honor the community's mm-hmm. past and, and give the, the public at large a place to go to experience natural medicines?
1: And so the way you're, that, the, as I understand, the way it's currently being packaged, right? It's it's for therapeutic use, right? This isn't just like do mushrooms at a Grateful Dead show, although people no doubt are doing that. We just had the dead here in, in Denver, <laughs> right? Um, uh, but it, it, the idea is that these are medicines that, that create different perceptions of reality, different emotional attachments to the world around you that have really legitimate, Beneficial uses that have been both cataloged by scientific researchers, as well as been used in traditional practices for a long time, right? And so, what what, what we are doing here, and what you have been uh, so so much of a part of, is is sort of allowing spaces, right? You know, you know, when you see here the hippy dippy person, you know, we're we're creating space for you to express your feelings, right? No, we're creating space for people to to do these psychedelics and one of the things that is of course on my mind when this when this happens is there is a lot of commercial interest in legalizing mushrooms right i mean there's a lot of people who are out there being like let's make a ton of money growing mushrooms in our basement let's have a big you know multinational company come in some vc dudes you know silicon valley vc guys making this the you know the tech Hub profit-driven mushroom space is that the, the the vision that you think that is that where we're going here?
0: No, I don't think so. And, and I think you know, it, you know, in addition to this, you know, regulated model, we also created this personal use decrim model. So individuals can grow their own, they can share it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they and, and in addition to you know psilocybin and psilocybin also includes DMT, includes mescaline, but not from peyote. It includes Ibogaine and, and there's an ability to like use this in a communal setting as well. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and there's a lot of limitations of, around, you know, not commercializing the decrim part of this, but mm-hmm. a lot of it was for that like personal agency, you know, people who want to use, you know, mushrooms to treat headaches or to microdose or mm-hmm. to, to be out in nature with, you know? And so there is that component of it. And then the third component is there's a lot of civil protections around the individual user. Mm-hmm. You know whether you, you know you can't lose your kids, you can't be denied public benefit, you can't be denied insurance. Oh wow!
1: Mm-hmm. All for
0: using you know natural medicines, and so those are the three buckets. And when you look at you know, to your questions like, hey, is this the next big VC thing? You know, and I would say no, and and here's why it's like you know how we sort of design this is on the regulated supervised side, there, there is no sales. You know, there's not like a commercial model. Where people can go buy microdoses, or people can really, you know, launch some new CPG nootropic brand where they'll be able <laughs> to work 18 hours a day, and you know, and be that much more effective. The um, really what this is is about supervised use for therapeutic purposes, for mental health purposes, for wellness purposes, and you know, and when you look at all the research from John Hopkins, from NYU around using psilocybin to treat addiction or for treatment resistant depression or ptsd you know there's you know you know there's just a lot of promise there and so that's really sort of like the angle we've been you know going is like hey how do we create a model that has a lot of promise and yes it's like you know unfortunate to capitalism or fortunately or unfortunate depending on where you fall capitalism makes the world go round in order to open a business there'll have to be money involved there'll have to be investments you know but it's by the nature of the structure, you know, there's a limit on, you You know, you can't have an interest in more than five businesses at a time, you know, you, you're going to have to go through, you, you know, an environmental, social governance screening that rates your business practices and make sure you have business practices that reflect the values of Colorado, you know, and, and how these sort of rules be, really become developed is, I think, going to answer that question you have of like, hey, is this like a large VC thing, or is this actually more of mm-hmm. you know a small business, people who, you know, facilitator, facilitator driven, community health driven, where people can actually mm-hmm. go go experience healing.
1: Yeah. It's it's interesting that you said that um, you know, these civil protections that you that you said you are in the law, for instance, you can't be not denied insurance. And it's it's funny for me because just the other day I was applying for life insurance, and I mentioned I had done ayahuasca three years ago in Peru uh, while working on a book, and I was actually denied light, uh, life insurance because of my drug habits, which to me was hilarious because I don't actually do very many psychedelics. I, I dabbled, and I you know I wrote about it in my book, The Wedge. D- can I sue these people under this law? I mean, well, I, I guess it's actually a great time for a disclaimer is um, <laughs> like, although
0: I'm an attorney, you know, nothing I'm saying to use is legal advice, you know, you fair, can follow fair. your own counsel. Um, but I think it's worth exploring. I think it's worth exploring, you know, hey, wh- where did the protections land? Does this apply to life insurance? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, does it go retroactively to your past? You know, mm-hmm. I think there's like some, I think there's some like issues to unpack there for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: I was hoping it would be like Bazinga. Dude, you're gonna get like five million dollars for the life insurance, but that that's not that's not what you're saying, which is unfortunate. Um, <laughs> um yeah, so the, you know, you're what's happening in Colorado, right? Which is, you know, we are on the forefront. There's only a few states, few, few municipalities that have anything even close to what's happening in Colorado that are on the books right now, although there are a few. Um Do you see this happening across the rest of the country? Like, you know, as I understand it, it looks like MDMA will be approved by the FDA soon. Uh, What's coming right down the pipeline? What does this the future look like, do you think, beyond Colorado?
0: Yeah, like how I conceptualize psychedelics in the U.S. is is really Mm -hmm. sort of like three different paths. One, you have this federal path where ketamine clinics right now, there's different forms of it, different practices, some online ketamine companies, which may or may not change with this Ryan Height waiver and the ending of the pandemic.
1: This what? This what waiver?
0: Yeah. yeah, The the Ryan Height waiver, which, you know, the Ryan Height Act allows right now, since, you know, due to the pandemic, it allowed people to prescribe ketamine online without an in-person visit. And so, Um... so we started to see all these federal companies, you know, really pop up in these online ketamine companies, these in-person ketamine clinics, and a lot of them are waiting for like, hey, what does this mean when MDMA is approved? You know, and people are saying like MDMA might be approved in the next year or so, you know, so, th- you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of open questions still, you know, there, but, you know, that's sort of the trajectory is like, and then once you have MDMA approved at the federal level, you're talking about, you know, really access, across the country, potentially across the world, all at once, you know, with hopefully insurance coverage as well, you know, everything rolls out, you know, know, wait
1: a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I saw those ketamine companies pop up during COVID. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Because I know a lot of people when ketamine sort of became fashionable in the last three or four years who are now addicted to ketamine and are like have some serious issues, like brilliant people who are like, oh, you're just, you know, some very smart people have died on ketamine and like just like lost the will to live on ketamine. I w- and I was worried that th- that ketamine was so easily available with sort of sort of shiesty website, um, and they they look very shiesty. And now you're saying that uh, I w- I mean, when you say that MDMA might be legal, I was like, wait, what? Really? Because I mean, honestly, that feels a little better to me. Um, but yeah, what's but, going on? <laughs> well, and, and I think it's like important. To know, it's like the MDMA
0: like protocols, I and mean, they like encourage everyone to like you know look at the maps. Public benefit corp. They have protocols. They're not proposing. Let me be very clear. They're not proposing an online MDMA system. You know, that is not like mm. what's being proposed here. It's, it's an in-person system tied with therapists. You know, and, and sort of like ongoing therapy protocols. You know, to really work through PTSD. You know, that's you know sure. that's being approved. You know, and so you know, so there will be there there will be differences you know, and i but I do you know it's like you do see a lot of companies who well actually, let me say one more thing is that there's there's a lot of really good people who are working with ketamine you know, assisted psychotherapy in a very safe and responsible way
1: of course they are and like and I'm really not talking about the responsible use, I'm talking about the fact that I could just go on the internet and. Apparently the, 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 the website that I looked at and I forget its name, uh, but they were advertising on Instagram, like get ketamine online. And I was like, what? (laughs) I checked it out. And it was like, you get, it was sort of like when I was in California, um, in the medical marijuana days and I, you know, graduated college and whatever, like, cool. And I, I saw the shistiest doctor in the state, um, who specialized in, distributing medical marijuana things and I got my medical marijuana um, card and then I, you know, went to a dispensary and a porn star delivered me marijuana joint and it was brilliant. It was amazing. I loved it. It was, it was fantastic. And I, and, and it does seem like that's sort of what's at least the, the presentation of that ketamine company, cause I didn't order it, but it does, it did seem like that was sort of the same animal. I
0: mean, I don't know. Like, I don't have, like, a strong comment on that. I will say that for, like, every person who's, like, abuses a substance we have out there in our world, there's, like, probably, you know, what, 10, 50 people who are finding like, true benefit from it, you know? You know? And so it's, like, it is, you know, kind of like this weird animal we live in where it's, like, hey, we have to end this war on drugs, understanding that as, like, humans, especially as U.S. citizens, some of us just are going to take advantage of whatever we can. You know, and that's you know, and that's like gonna be like an it's one of the inevitable sort of like flaws of like the system we live in. But it's but there's there's no real way around it. You know, and so you know you know so I don't you know you know I do think it's like imperative on us as a community to you know to really like self regulate you know and to, and to and to you know hold up the good actors and but you know. So back to my, my three-pronged approach. So we have the federal piece, you know, which is, you know, these ketamine clinics, some people say ketamine is not even a psychedelic. That's like a, a whole fun conversation. You might have MDMA, you know, you know in these same federal channels. You have USONA, you have COMPASS who are working with, you know, synthetic forms of psilocybin to bring them through this federal channel. You know, and there's a lot of benefits of this federal path. Then you have this... Um, Sort of like religious freedom path, where you, you see, you know, all these different, you know, churches popping up, um, you know, and there's, you know, there's a lot of benefit there. There's a lot of like really good healing in that container. You know, the Native American church has been, you know, recognized at it, you know, as it, there's a couple of ayahuasca churches, there's a couple of lawsuits going on, but you yeah, have this religious path. And then you have this third path, which is the state based reform. And, and, and this is sort of the path. Whereas, like, Oregon went first. You know, they created their program around, you know, psilocybin service centers, supported use. And Colorado's model really, like, took Oregon's model and built it upon it, you know, in some key ways. Like, one, it added more natural psychedelic medicines. You know, two is, you know, it allows for, you know, eventually um, natural medicine services at private residence under the supervision of a facilitator.
1: Okay, what does that mean? So that means that we have like sort of a licensed facilitator or like some dude who went to ayahuasca once down in Peru said that he is now a shaman and then you can go to his house and pay him some money and trip on his couch? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so what it means is that, you know... There's going to be a whole training program, you know, approved by the state. There'll likely be multiple training programs. There'll be an oversight board. There'll there'll be a state license, you know, once people have met these qualifications, and and then you have a licensed facilitator. And then like how this works of like being able to go to a private resident. Maybe it's like, hey, two facilitators come over to your place because Mm -hmm. you're, you know, maybe you're bedridden or maybe that's just where you feel the most comfortable, you know, and and you can have these sort of like natural medicine um, healing experiences, like in the comfort, you know, of your own home, potentially. Right. Which but, is probably uh,
1: it, it, for many people, the best way to do it because set and setting is so important. You go to a doctor's office, um, you know, that may color your trip. You know, I've, I've also found that when I've done psychedelics and I, again, I'm not like a, you know, a Uh, what do you call a psychonaut, I'm like out there every weekend, but I have found that my most beneficial journeys have been in nature alone or with a friend, and there was no psychiatrist next to me. Um, Are those sorts of experiences going, and I think that a lot of people access psychedelics in a very similar way. You know, you have, you're alone, you're in nature, you're communing with nature, and the facilitation aspect of it is absent. Um, is that still going to is are those sorts of experiences going to be protected in this legal framework, or is that a, a is is that what we just call recreational drug use? and is that different?
0: No, I mean, I think it's you know I think when you start working with psychedelics, you know it, you know it's it's even hard for like somebody to like, oh, this is recreational because like, hey, you want to go explore your consciousness for example, you know, and mm-hmm. not gonna get a doctor that's that says like, hey.' It's got you know what you need is you need some good consciousness exploration like here's right. you, know, you, you, know, you know go see my facilitator friend you know at their you know at their shop the um, but you know you're not gonna see that so that's why in this state based model there is no like prerequisite for like a diagnosis you know like mm-hmm. you can go to a licensed facilitator for any reason for a therapy you can go for a spiritual exploration mm-hmm. you, know, you, you know you can go um for wellness, you can go to be a nicer person, you know, it's like, it's pretty open, you know, it's it's pretty broad. And what this actually looks like, or what it will look like, we just don't know yet, you know, because there's different mm-hmm. types of facilitation. You know, there's folks who are just like, hey, eat mushrooms, blindfolded, listen to some music, and I'll be here if you need anything. You mm-hmm. know, other folks are like, hey, let's, work for months, you know, to really like unpack some of this deep rooted trauma. And then right. let's go into the psychedelic experience in that container. You know, and there might also be some folks who are like, hey, how about you just, you know, listen to these sounds, you know, and meditate on the sounds and see where that, yeah.
1: takes you know, and so it's, that's that's so interesting because, you know, so I've done, uh, I, I think I'm just going to go through all of my psychedelic experiences with you and we can just talk about <laughs> them. Right? So, so, you know, uh, not long ago, I did a Wachuma ceremony, which is, a I guess that's sort of, that's, that's San Pedro, which I guess is, is that mescaline Wachuma? Yeah. Um, so I did a Wachuma ceremony with a, a shaman from Peru who came to Colorado. And we had sort of a, a ceremony in the woods and uh, probably with some people, you know, as well. Right. And, 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 her facilitation was she sang some uh Ikarios, so some sort of shamanic songs while people did mushrooms in the sort of this ritualistic setting, and that was her facilitation. And she was like, You know, if you have any issues, you can talk to me. And uh, and no one had any issues, it all went swimmingly, everyone had a very nice experience. Um, what would have happened though if there is a problem? Or, or d- does my Ikario singing shamanic, um, uh, lady um is she able to can you help someone out of a psychedelic bad place like what is it that you do what is what does this facilitator facilitate when you're on the ride and the drug is in your body and you're shot out to space and things ain't good
0: yeah i mean <clears throat> you know great question i think there's you know there is these like two different paths so there's like on the regulated side with the licensed facilitator we're still determining like what does that look like and a lot of people a lot of guys have been working with these medicines for decades who come from long lineages, you know, like th- know how to navigate that space and then can, you know, read body language and tell like when things are going in different places. And, mm-hmm. and there's a whole host of different um, viewpoints on like, hey, is this dark trip just you working through something that you're going to work through, sure. through? On the other mm-hmm. end? Or is this going to be destabilizing and, you know, lead to like, issues, you know, in the future where you need to, you know, more integration or you need to like work through these. And it's you know, it's it's a big open question now. You know, and I think mm-hmm. it's you know, um a good friend Martha, you know, from the Aspen Psychedelic um resource center always you know describes it as like backcountry skiing. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, you're like if you go out backcountry skiing, you know, and you know what you're doing, you can do it safe. You know, if you right. don't know what you're doing, like you can trigger an avalanche, and you can hire a guide to go backcountry skiing. You expect to like know what they're doing, or you can go out with some friends. You know, and there's sure. you know sort of like different you know different levels of you know guides and personal agency and risk. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think mm-hmm. it's like the same of like hey, when you're working with you know natural psychedelics, some of the reasons why they're so powerful or so effective is because they're so powerful. And so you're working with these like powerful substances, and there's risk involved, you know. And that's something like everyone needs to go into eyes wide open.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a real a really salient point, and it's something that I've written about about breath work, about meditation, about all of these things, which is that um, these are tools, and these tools are powerful, but you don't always know where these tools are going to land. Uh, you know, you don't, you can't a hundred percent say that you're going to be safe, and you know, you use the the. Um, example of backcountry skiers. Amateur backcountry skiers die all the time in the backcountry in Colorado, but so do experts, right? (laughs) Because the experts are the ones who go out there more, and the more you do it, the more likely things um, bad happen. And I think that this brings me to my next question, which has to do with the legal standpoint. We live in America where we love suing people. It's It's like our national pastime. It's baseball and suing people. And when things go wrong how will the, what happens to these facilitators? Like, how do we, you know, we can say there are risks and you know, there's risks and this is going in, we'll have a nice waiver for you, but what sort of lawsuits are making their ways through the courts against the people who are on the side of trying to legalize this?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. You, You know, as a very, you know, as, Especially as like a a lawsuit prone society, um, you know, it's hey, what is this gonna look like? You know, like what happens when you know someone has a heart attack, you know, while they're going through a mm-hmm. trip, and what yeah. if they would have had a heart attack that day, regardless, you know, mm-hmm. and it just so happens, you know, that that happened at the same time, you sure. know, and like, how do we unpack like, hey, when is their fault? When is there not fault? And part of it is will be like developed by like, what are like this reasonable standards of care, you know. You know okay. what is like. Mm-hmm. You know what is the industry norm here. You mm-hmm. know. You know. You see it. You know with. You, you know. Met, you know. There's risks when you go into surgery. You know. There's risks when. Mm-hmm. You, you know. There's. You know. Working with different mental health professionals. You know. There's. You know. People come with suicide ideation. Some people end up like passing. And like. And there is. You know. This risk that are, is just there. And a lot of it comes back to like, what are the standards of care? And that's sort of like mm-hmm. what, you know, we hope to like be able to develop through this like regulatory process and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and sort of like leveraging like, Hey, there's been people working with these substances for decades, for generations, you know, and what are their standards? Mm-hmm. of care and How do they work with it? But it is, you know, it's not, it's not perfect. And there's, there's groups out there that are monitoring you know, bad trips and destabilization and persistent, you know, Mm -hmm. hallucinogenic problems. And like, how does this all play out? And this, I think it's like, especially now more than ever, like one of the big benefits of of decriminalizing these substances and creating this legal framework for them is to really be able to understand the pros and the cons, the benefits and the risks, you know, to really Mm -hmm. allow people who want to step into this space and use this one mental health tool you know, there's mm-hmm. thousands of tools. And when you're, you know, let's say you're going to, you know, let's say you're building a garage, you're going to use different tools for different things, you know, and this is one tool, you know, and so mm-hmm. some tools are more dangerous than other tools. And so, you know, I think really, as we, you know, bring you know this form of healing out into um, out of the shadows, you know, I think we'll be able to understand a lot more what, you know, what these risks are and, and how to best deal with them. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it sounds like it's something that we have to sort of feel our way through. I I I do. I I have two worries, right? One is that we have the bad facilitator, facilitators, and you know, two examples that just come right off the top of my head in Colorado are one person who was doing a ceremony in Boulder, who's a good friend of mine, was given a psychedelic by a facilitator without him knowing he was being given a psychedelic, which seems like a big no no to me, and another person um, who. Was doing a, a a mushroom guide guided tour, and she started seeing ghosts. And you know there was a ghost thing going on, and they they made her feel really uncomfortable. And the facilitator facilitator said, "Those ghosts are real. <laughs> you need to go deal with them." And this sent her off into like not being able to sleep for a year afterwards. And you know these are examples of bad actors. And in medical system, we have things called malpractice laws, right? You have the bad mm-hmm. the bad actor. You are like, look, that surgeon cut off your leg. And they weren't supposed to like cut off the wrong leg. We are able to do something about this. And uh, there must be, I mean, there obviously are guidelines in um, mental health care as well. Right. And, and certain things you do. I, I, I worry though, and maybe there's no way out of this worry, but I worry that we're going to get a lot of people who have no idea what they're doing, but they love psychedelics. Uh, and they are going to be experts on psychedelics, and there's gonna be uh, difficulty figuring out what is a good quality person and what is not a good quality person. It's sort of like the cliche of you know someone who is in college and they become a sex advice columnist and they've had sex like with with two partners in their life, right, and they tell you all about it, but they know nothing about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I think a couple things there is One, we do have some like groups that are you know developing standards um you know there's you know there's APA, the american psychedelic practitioners association um you know there's i think it's bbt yeah and they're working like hey how do we develop standards of what a facilitator should do there's also groups like fireside have here's 10 questions to ask a a future Mm -hmm. facilitator um you know like like talk to them about touch talk to them about the substances talk to them about dosing, and it's you know, to date in you know, in the last however many years of psychedelic healing in Colorado there and in the US, there hasn't been insurance coverage for facilitators. You know, mm-hmm. and so you know, so what we've seen, and a lot of people have been afraid to like bring these surface bring these issues to the surface because of the illegality. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like one of the biggest benefits on you know the regulated side is like, you know, we do expect to have insurance coverage for facilitators you know, we do expect to have standards. We do expect to have complaint boards. We do expect to be able to bring these issues out because I completely agree. It's like, oh, I've had one psychedelic experience. It's changed my life. I'm going to, you know, I'm dropping what I'm doing and I'm, you know, going straight to facilitator school. I'm going to now open up the next, you know, best psychedelic retreat center. And it's actually like, maybe you should sit with these medicines a little bit more. Maybe you need at least like a good three year cooling off period from like your first, you know, like experience before you like decide to dedicate your life to it.
1: Um, you know, I, I mean, that, that, that's so perfect because <laughs> maybe that is what it is. Maybe we just said the three-year cooling off period before you become a shaman. Yeah. <laughs> and that is how, that, that is your minimum standard of care uh, here. Uh, I mean, it's not, that's what medical school is, right? You know, in medical school, a lot of people will a lot of doctors will note that they didn't learn very much in medical school until they went into practice, but it was that, that um, gateway that you had to go through and prove that you were serious uh, in order to get to the point where you start doing clinic and then you start really learning medicine.
0: Well, yeah. And it's like, and I think there's, you know, we've, we've talked about like, Hey, as the state develops these like facilitator training requirements, like how do you have that experiential piece? Like, Hey, have you really been rocked by psilocybin? Like, do you really know, like, the full, you know, experience? You know, like, how mm-hmm. do you, you know, it's it's hard to, like, really test that. And so a lot of times what you see in these, like, you know, intergenerational wisdom traditions is, like, in order to sit, you may never become approved to, like, lead people. Or you mm-hmm. may, you know, sit with ayahuasca for a hundred times before it's, like, you know, before your teacher feels you might be in a spot to, like, actually right. Ceremonies for others. And mm-hmm. so, again, it kind of like comes down to what, like, how do we do this balance? You know, and I'm like, you know, and it's not just like, oh, you're a psychiatrist and so now you can work with psychedelics and whole space. Like, a lot of psychiatrists have like horrible bedside manners. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so, so, so it's not just that. And it's not like, oh, you've done some training program, you know, for the last 12 months, now it's great. Or, oh, you just love psychedelics and you blast off all the time and now you're great. It's like mm-hmm. some, you know, it's like, yeah. it's something like kind of in between. I think there's like benefits from, you know, there's benefits from like Western medical care. There's, you know, things to learn from, you know, indigenous communities. There's t- things to learn from like your own personal experience. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you have this like holistic training program, I think is mm-hmm. still to, to be determined. And we're starting to see some companies in you know, in Oregon, ALMA is a great example. Um, IPI is a great example of like who are working and training people to be psilocybin facilitators.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, the it seems to me that there's this other component as well. When we talk about like legalization of a chemical, right? Like when I'm talking about like FDA legalization right here, yeah. when, I, when I look at scientific research uh, about the benefits of MDMA, so the molecule MDMA, uh, A lot of the studies say it's great for PTSD, and you take the chemical. The pill comes into you, and the output is better PTSD. And they're missing this middle point, right? Which is like I had an experience to get me to that output. And uh, I've seen this in clinical research on mushrooms as well. Um, uh, you know I, I recently saw, a, you know heard a podcast with Andrew Huberman on it. It was like, yeah, it's not the experience. It's the molecule that did this work. And to me, when I hear that, I just freak out and I'm like, no, you guys don't get it at all. For me, it's the experience of going through the trauma of, of psychedelics and also the bliss of psychedelics and the, the journey that I go through to get the output. And it seems to me that there's a miscommunication between the, the paradigms that we have, you know, the scientific, economic, regulatory paradigms coming from the government and the reason why people are drawn to this in the first place.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I think there's, you know, the jury's still out on this debate of, you know, Mm -hmm. is it, is it the chemical? If someone takes psilocybin for cluster headaches, they take, you know, two grams, you know, I forget the exact protocol once a week or a gram and a half once a week. And it helps them with their, with their migraines and their cluster headaches. Is it the chemical or is it like how they suck? I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, and and there's, you know studies being done of like, hey, if we if we strip away this therapeutic container and just give people these substances, you know, is it the molecule? Is it the experience? You know, and you know, and so it's still, I think, you know, pretty wide open, you know, of, of how this works. And there's different camps, you know, mm-hmm. and, and where I sit as you know an attorney and not a mental health professional. Sure. Yeah. There's you know, that, like, hey, let's. Let's keep things flexible and support all these different methods. You know, mm-hmm. like let's see what works. You know, and like you know, and and continue to do the research and continue to build frameworks that support you know different you know different modalities. Because it's like to your point, it's like you know, you could have a um, you know a life changing experience hiking a mountain. You know, mm-hmm. and that could you know really put you on to like a brand new just like way of being and just way of like looking at the world. You know, and it's this, like, whole experience collectively, you know, and you know, and is it just, like, the altitude? Is it just, like, the physical exertion? Or was it, like, hey, not only just this experience, but, like, your life set and setting beforehand and how you integrate it afterwards, and, you know, so, it's still, you know, the jury's still out on this one, you know, and when I, you know, if you want to talk about personal experience, like, when I, you know, had a very profound mushroom experience when I was younger, I wasn't with the guide, you know, mm-hmm. I was, you know, actually in nature by myself, you know, and, you know, and had this very like profound experience and it wasn't, I wasn't expecting it. It wasn't even like I was like prepping to go into this container, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so it's, I don't know. It's just interesting, you know, how these medicines work and what we think is going to be, what we think is like how they work might not actually be how they work in the future, you know, sure. and, or how they've worked in the past.
1: So well, let's, let let me give, put on your shaman hat for a second and uh, the question that i you know we're going to we're going to have you predict the future and you're going to give me a you're going to give me a timeline for what do you think when do you think things will be legalized and available for americans over the next 10 15 100 million years whatever what, what what does the timeline look like right now i mean
0: i think that there is a scenario you know where you know, four years from now in Colorado, you know, you could go, you know, work with MDMA and a therapist to treat mental health disorders. You, you might even have that covered by insurance, you know, and, and, you know, and it'd be diagnosis based. You could also then go to a licensed healing center and, you know, and work with a licensed facilitator, you know, with psilocybin or and potentially maybe ibogaine to sort of, you know, to work through addictions or just for spiritual enlightenment. You know, and, and, and at the same time, I also see a world where it's like, hey, you could grow your own and have your own agency over what you're growing, putting in your body. And all that, I think, is like, you know, pretty near term, you know, what's possible, you know. And, um, you know, and I think as this, you know, continues to develop like 10 years, 20 years, I think we'll see, you know, more I think we'll see more on this you know on this medicine side I think we'll see more you know you know MDMA like chemicals that come out maybe they have less um you know they have less side effects or less like brain toxicity and I think we'll see more of an ability for people to you know engage in healing in these manners and Mm -hmm. and I also hope in in sort of You know, there's like my hub slash prediction is I I think we'll also start to see like this unpacking of like our alcohol driven society. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think we're starting to see these trends of people saying, hey, I want something different that like will elevate my mood and my spirit. That's not alcohol. that's not this toxic. And I think Mm -hmm. you're starting to see it with people, you know, working with Kava or the feel free folks or Kana or these different like herbal blends where we'll start to see, you know, really people move into this like post-alcohol world. All
1: right. So I just want to note for the record that as we've been talking, uh, we have mentioned many different drugs. We have mentioned psilocin. I've never even heard of that. Ibogaine, heard of it, A psilocybin, mdma, comma, uh, kava, and comma. We Kana. We, uh, Kana. Kana. Um, uh, there's something called, there's, there's a lot, right? We've mentioned mescaline. We've mentioned peyote. We've mentioned, I mean, there is a far, a whole pharmacopoeia coming down the pipeline of potentially legal substances that create a, a, a vast array of responses. And that is super exciting, but also, I have no idea what most of it is. Oh, you also mentioned DMT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean,
0: so yeah, like there's some of these, like kava and kana are legal substances today. You Mm -hmm. know, they're not necessarily like approved. Well, some of them are. Like kava has been approved as a dietary supplement. It's not approved as like a beverage, but there's, but there's, you know, legal pathways for some of these herbal supplements. And, and some of them, you know, have been historically controlled that we've, you know, that we're now legalizing, you know, here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's, you know, all these companies in the psychedelic space, they're trying to make new substances.
1: Oh my God. Uh, (laughs) How are we going to decide? I just realized that, forget the whole legalization issue, which is definitely going to be fine. It's going to happen. How am I going to decide what drug is right for me?
0: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, as someone who like, you know, deals with like decision paralysis all the time, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you, but no, um, there are, you know I think how a lot of people say so there's like hey this works with me. Some people say hey I had one drink and never do I want to drink alcohol again. Mm-hmm. And some people are like hey I want a beer all the time. Or some people might smoke weed and the like, oh my god this you know brings me you know brings you know brings me to like a good place, you know, like and other people are like hey I smoke weed and I'm super paranoid. You know mm-hmm. and it's it's going to mm-hmm. be this like individualistic um you know, choice for individuals who even want to go down this route. You know, yeah. you know there's so many people who's are like, no, I don't want to touch any of these things. Like, you know, give me exercise, you know, maybe give me breath work and, and I'm good. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, it is really a funny problem because I feel like I am a, I'm an interested explorer in things, but I also am a very cautious explorer. I don't do things very much. And with the pharmacopoeia, which does seem to be coming, it would be good to have some sort of heuristics to figure out what might be appropriate for me without, you know, because as I understand it, you know, I've done three or four of these substances in my life and they all had sort of different outputs, different sorts of experiences and willy nilly going into them may not be the best way. There's probably going to have to be some sort of Yelp for psychedelics, (laughs) a psychedelic Yelp. I
0: mean, you you do see it. I mean, you see you know you see all these reports on Arrowhead and other websites. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, here's what these types of mushrooms do, or here's what this substance did to me, or here's recommended dosages, and mm-hmm. who knows how correct they are. Like this, is by no means, like a endorsement to go you know read things off the internet and, and go exploring. You know, but there is, you know, but it, there's kind of this like Yelpy sort of scenario of like. He was like, yeah, great experience, bad experience, you know, yeah. somewhere in the middle.
1: No, I mean, it's it's sort of like I remember in college, you know, that was my first experience with um mushrooms, uh, was in college. And I like went to the cool guy in the dorm room down the road who was like, I don't know, 19 years old, and he knew all about this drug. <laughs> and and, you know, he's like, Oh yeah, weed's gonna be legal in like five years, and like what blah, blah, blah. And Uh, you know, from him, I bought some mushrooms and then I did the mushrooms and he knew nothing about it. And I guess there's sort of like, I was disposed at that point in my life, young men often are to take some risks and, and you went in and you, you, you went and go tried it out. How many of these substances are actually, do you believe dangerous in and of themselves?
0: That's a great question. You know, um, I don't know. You know, you know, I think there's like, I think any substance can be dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, you know, and they can have unwanted effects. And so like there are, you know, there's research out there. I think it's, I think it's really a big duty to for us like educate people about like, Hey, what's going on. But when you look at, you know, the Shulgans, for example, who, you know, who you know, helped, you know, find and explore multiple different chemicals Um, You know, they wrote multiple books on them. You know, there's just, you know, kind of this like massive plethora that's out there. Yeah. And, you know, some of them have, you know, maybe been tried once or have never been tried. And, you know, and how do you go into this sort of research, chemical, you know, drug exploration world? Um, I don't know. And, you know, frankly, like, it's a little terrifying to me, you know, which is why, you know, what we decide from a policy standpoint was like, let's stick with the natural. Let's just stick with things that are plant-based, you know, and not step into this, you know, into this synthesized chemical world. Um,
1: Yeah. Although it's funny when you, when you say plant-based, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm into that. I like the idea of natural. And then I also think like, there's a lot of plants out there that do a lot of different things and some plants are not good for you. Uh, And uh, yeah, it, but it's fascinating. And, and and I think that there is this thing, you know, I, obviously I do breath work and ice bathing. That's sort of like what I'm known for. And I always tell people, look, if you're not called to go into an ice bath and you're not like in, then you're not, then don't go. I will never force you to go into an ice bath. And I think it's the same for psychedelics. You know, if if you're not called to do this, then don't do it. Right. And, and don't, don't, don't go experimenting. You're, you don't need to be a psychonaut. No one has to be any of this stuff. But I think that the beauty of decriminalization and legalization is that for those people who are, they don't need to have a legal, you know, uh, you know, if they have a bad trip, that's punishment enough. For anyone who's had a bad trip, that's punishment. And, and you learn from that. You don't need to spend years in the box for that.
0: (laughs) No, exactly. it's you know, it's the the criminalization of conscious exploration makes no sense. you know it's it's really just like a form of control. And you know, so f- for folks who want to explore in that manner, they should have the liberty to, you know it, but I think it's you know, very imperative for them to know as much as they can about what mm-hmm. they're doing and And I completely agree with you, you know it's, it's like aren't for everyone, and if for and if people are, like on the fence about whether they should, you know, experiment with psychedelics. They should probably not experiment with psychedelics, mm-hmm. and you know, and wait till, you know, wait till it is like a full yes. Which they do really feel. Uh-huh. So, oh, go on. I was, was going to say one more, one more thing too. Is just like people also, you know, hope like psychedelics are some panacea that is like, hey, this is gonna like fix all. Like, oh, I'm gonna eat mushrooms. It's gonna fix all my problems, and you know, mushrooms might help people fix some of their problems, you know, and that, you know, but it's not, you know, there's work that's, that has to be done with it. You know, there, there, there has to be like intentional living that happens. There has to be integration that happens afterwards, you know, and, and for some, like for many still, like they're like, quote, problems aren't going to be fixed. And when people expect, you know, psychedelics to fix all their problems, it really does, you know, a disservice for those when it doesn't work.
1: Mm -hmm. Have you had any, <clears throat> as somebody sort of on the forefront of this of this movement, have you had any sort of uh, negative interactions with uh, with authorities or other you know sort of power holders? Um, because you're sort of a rabble rouser here, right? You're you're sort of getting in the face of some very long term um, and powerful people uh, what is, have you had any personal challenges that, that, that would be worth sharing?
0: Um, you know, when I was younger, you know, when I was like trying to figure out, you know, really just like what to do with myself and before I like engage on this path of drug policy reform, you know, part of the impetus of why I got on that path was I had run-ins with the police, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that, you know, it's like, you know, I think really sort of like woke me up a little bit, you know, in terms of, hey, there is this big legal apparatus that, you know, wants to criminalize people who do otherwise harmless things that they don't appreciate. And this criminal apparatus will like look more favorably on me with my white colored skin and, you know, middle class um, background than it will my friends who who, who don't look like And, you know, and seeing that like, disparity in like how the system works and having that like firsthand experience was definitely like a catalyst for like wanting to like make change and wanting to, you know, change the system.
1: Can you tell me what that experience was? Like what was this running with the cops? Because that sounds juicy and fun. (laughs) I mean, it's not, I mean, it's. (sighs) I'll show you mine if you show me yours. How's that sound?
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) You know, it was just, you know, just being just like a young rabble arouser, getting caught with weed, um, you know, facing, you know, different tickets, you know, I, you know, really just, you know, yeah, I guess really just like the weed issue, you know, is like really what catalyzed it, it was, mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and for me at the time, I'm like, oh man, if everyone smoked weed, the world would be a much better place. Like, why are mm-hmm. they trying to arrest me unless they don't want the world to be a better place? Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> But then I also realized over time it's like, yeah, weed's not for everyone. It's not like the, you know, peace panacea that, you know, I hoped it was in my in my younger years.
1: Yeah, weed's fine. I mean, I like weed. I I I you know, I'm I'm very happy that weed's legal here in Denver. Um uh you know, for me, my experience was uh, you know, I was a freshman in college, I did mushrooms, you know with the guy, with the guy, the guy told me like, here, take two caps or a stem or some, 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 some dosage, right. Take some of this stuff. And I, you know, was in, it was having this trip. It went bad. I thought maybe I would die. And then I tried to gag myself. I put my finger down my throat and nothing happened. I didn't know the gag reflex turned off, uh, with psilocybin and I could just like ping pong my finger down the back of my throat. I was like, Oh no, I'm going to die. Blah, blah, blah. And I, I went to a friend of mine. I was like, Hey, I'm going to die. Go call the ambulance, <laughs> and and the, you know he did. He called nine one one. I got taken down an ambulance, and uh, as soon as the ambulance was there, I was like, "Oh, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'll be fine." And I went to the hospital, and I got questioned by the cops while I was tripping on mushrooms, and right. uh, and and you know ultimately. You know, they asked me where I got the mushrooms. I was like, I don't know, I'm tripping. <laughs> and, uh, and you're right. I ultimately, you know, I was a college kid in Ohio, uh, you know, white guy and from that privileged school that was there. And uh, I faced no real consequences for it. But another person in another situation certainly would have.
0: Yeah. And and it's, it's really interesting too. And this is like a, a very open question I think today is like, hey, when does it make sense to bring in like traditional medical professionals into a tripping setting? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, like, I'd love to know, like, you know, did you feel safer? Did like things get weird at the hospital when you were a tripping?
1: Yeah. So they pumped my stomach. So they put a, uh, like, a, sort do of so they put a tube down into my stomach and pump me full of charcoal. And I don't know what happened. Maybe I, I, do they pump it out again? I don't, I don't remember. I was, it was, I was a little preoccupied at the point, but I do remember this. I remember when they were pumping my stomach, my thought was, I'm so glad I'm not here right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So that happened. And then, you know, a little bit later, I was fine. I, you know, I talked to my parents. It was an embarrassing phone call. The school talked to me about, you know, how I shouldn't do mushrooms or something like that. And ultimately, you know, no criminal charges or anything. You know, I was just a user. I'd use them. And then I, I didn't do mushrooms again for many, many years uh, because I was scared of them. But I think it was yeah. a useful framing trip. For what could happen on mushrooms and you know later i met god on mushrooms on a couch in boston i met a giant ball of light that was love and everything else was apathy i was like well you should go towards the love obviously and that was god and that, and that has fra- been a very beneficial uh, experience in sort of my early life and uh but yeah that was you know th- there is my experience
0: You know, it's really interesting because like I feel like a lot of the negative stories I hear about you know mushroom use is generally like something similar. It's like young, late high school, early college individuals like oh yeah, I got some mushrooms. I'm just gonna eat them and then Mm -hmm. see what happens. And Mm -hmm. without that like intention, without that like set and setting, without that person who's gonna be there, let them know that Mm -hmm. they're gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and these are like a lot of the stories that come up, you know, that lead to, um, you know, yeah, some like negative outcomes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm, I'm psyched to, uh, you know, have, have met you and I'm glad that you're local here in Denver. So we should hang out again at some point. Um, come over for a sauna and ice bath sometime. I'll take you through all that. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a full ice bath. I'm in, I'm in on that. All ice right. bath. Nice, nice. Um, and you know, if anyone wants to find out more about you or your work, is there anything that, that, you know, is there any resource that you'd like to point point people towards?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, my law firm, you know, Vicente LL Vicente LLP, dot LLP.com, you can find me, Josh Kappel. Um, and then, you know, I you know, I would just point people to, you know, who are this this conversation like oh i want to go explore like like check out fireside you know check out some of the safety resources that are out there mm-hmm. you know check out maps you, you know do some research around hey how can you responsibly use psychedelics on your own with someone mm-hmm. and i think you know just like you know it's like going hiking you know in the woods or backcountry skiing it's like it's better to go with someone than alone if you've never had these experiences
1: Great and Vicente LLP. If someone, you know, you're you're a law firm, and pe- random people on YouTube are going to listen to this. Are, are are you? Do you take criminal cases for people who got caught in, in doing mushrooms? Like, what do you what do you do in your law firm?
0: <laughs> Great question. No, we're not a criminal defense. We're not a criminal defense firm. Um, you know what we do is we do a lot of policy work. You know, we help draft laws, we draft policy, we work with a lot of businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs. who are looking to you know, be part of the cannabis industry or be part of this new psychedelic space and, you know, who are really looking to, you know, be part of these new emerging industries in a way that's sort of like different from, you know, the world that came before
1: us. Got it. So come to you if you're trying to start a psychedelics business, do not come to you if you're in jail. Correct. Okay, great. And and again,
0: nothing